I just want you to know again how significant a morning like this is for me. Uh, I believe in church. I believe that when Jesus physically left this earth 2,000 years ago, he kind of handed the reins of Christianity into the hands of the church. And he commissioned us to be his hands and his feet and his mouth here on earth. And then he, he breathed his life into us, giving us the Holy Spirit so that we would be able to do uh, with the power of the Holy Spirit what he had called or commissioned or was asking us to do. So thank you for doing church together here at Pleasant Valley. Uh, I want to, in fact, I want to take just a moment and I want to speak God's blessing and anointing over you as the Pleasant Valley Church and over this uh, symbolic commitment that we've made to each other. And so I'm going to ask that God would bless you, and that God would keep you, and that God would make his face to shine on you, on us, and give you peace. Amen. The speaking of that blessing does not actually mean that we're done for this morning, however. Kind of fooled you. We have spent so much time in the past several months speaking about church... We have talked a lot about church leadership, and Jesse referred to it already again this morning, and transition, and trying to kind of formulate how it's going to look from here on in, and, and we've challenged you to get involved, we've challenged you to teach Sunday school, and to volunteer for committees, and, and other vacant kind of roles that are, 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 are open because of some of the pastor transitions that we're going to. By the way, uh, all of those jobs that the review committee posted in that little insert about two weeks ago, uh, have all been spoken for. And so if you were still thinking that you would volunteer for one of those, sorry, you're, you're too late. You're going to have to look for something else. Uh, by the way, which I can help you with, if, uh, if you would like. Uh, but thank you very, very much for being church and truly being committed to doing church together. And so we've talked about church. We've talked about this community covenant and what it means to make a commitment to each other and to be his body together, the church family. And then this past weekend, not right now, but a week ago, then the leadership spent time together uh, thinking about and talking about who we are as a church and, and what we're uniquely gifted for. You guys kind of all together, what we believe the characteristics and the qualities are of us as a church family and, and what God has called us to and how we'd like to lead uh, this church family in being this and so we've talked so much about all of that. This past week, I began wondering, where is God in all this? We really haven't talked much about God lately. Well, I know he's all wrapped up in church. I, I, I know that the church is, is his body and, and, and all that, but... Where is God in all this? What about those of us who are simply struggling to stay afloat? We're having a hard enough time just managing life and our kids and our finances and our emotions and our job and on and on and on. Never mind all this commitment stuff and this volunteering and this giving. I'm just trying to survive. And I come to church and all they say is, well, just come put your name on this covenant and everything's going to be better. Well, not really. Not really. I know, I know, I, I, I do believe in this. I think it is good for us to symbolize our commitment to each other in the context of church family. And I do believe that a passionate commitment to each other is what God has called us to uh, as far as living out who he is 
to, to each other and to the world around us. And, and I want to bless you and encourage you and, and, and all of that. And I'm all up for that. But today, I just want to talk about God. Who is God? Where is God? Before I do that, I'm going to call up Deanna Walder because you all thought that I had missed the children's feature. She's going to do the children's feature right now, and I think it's going to help us begin to explore these questions, and then we're going to do it a little bit more when she's done. So kids, come on up to the front and, uh, and have a seat right here, right here, and uh, you're going to be led in a little children's feature. Come on up. Hi. <clears throat> snacks. Yes, we have got snacks. Are we all here? Are we all here? You can sit down. So how many of you have a favorite story? Do you have a favorite story that your mom or your dad reads you? You do? You know, when my kids were little, they loved for me to read them a story. So when I was asked to do a children's feature, I was wondering, what could I do that would be interesting for all the kids? And like, what did my kids? Those are the best. Those are the best. The Jesus stories are definitely the best Bible stories. That's a good story. Yeah, that is a really good story. But you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to read you one of my kids' favorite books when, when they were little. It's called, it's called, Who Will Be My Mother? That's what it's called. So let's see what this, yeah, Who Will Be My Mother? Let's see what this book, it's not very long. So don't be worried. I'm not going to have you here forever. So here's a mommy, here's a sheep. So mother sheep died. And Lamb had no mother. Ma, ma, cried Lamb, who will be my mother? Lamb went to the horse. Horse, horse, will you be my mother? I'm a horse, said the horse. I can't be your mother. Lamb went to the bull. Bull, bull, will you be my mother? I'm a bull, said the bull. I can't be your mother. It's a big cow, a big cow, yeah. Lamb went to the rabbit. Rabbit, rabbit, will you be my mother? Yeah, I'm a rabbit, said the rabbit. I can't be your mother. Lamb went to the hen. Hen, hen, will you be my mother? I am a hen, said the hen. I can't be your mother. Lamb went to the boy. Boy, boy, will you be my mother? I am a boy, said the boy. I can't be your mother. Ma, ma, the lamb cried and cried. Oh, okay, said the boy. He said, I will be your mother. So the little boy took a bottle and he took care of the little lamb. And he was, that little boy was that lamb's mother. Is that pretty cool? He took care of the, so, so do you, have you ever heard of the word adopted? Do you know what adopted means? Yeah. 
Yeah, somebody took care of puppy. But you know what? When I was a little girl, I was adopted. And there are some little kids here who were adopted too. And so, you know, you know when, when someone sometimes doesn't have a mom or, or their mom can't take care of them, then they are adopted. And somebody else takes care of them. But did you know that it doesn't matter how old you are, if you ask Jesus to come into your heart, then God becomes your father. He actually, he adopts you. He, he adopts, doesn't matter if you have a dad here on earth, God adopts you into his family and now you have a new family and you go to church and you see people out in the street. He is the biggest ever. He is the biggest dad. He's the best dad. And so that's kind of what... Oh, that movie? Oh, I don't know what that movie's about. But anyway, my point is that no matter what, we have a really good dad who adopted us. And so that's part of being God's family. That's part of being a church. Who is that God? God, that's right. So anyway, that was, that was my story for you, and now I have a treat for you. Do you guys all want a treat? Okay, let's see. I'm, I think I have a lot. Here you go. Yeah, you can just reach in and take one. There you go. No sugar today, don't worry. No sugar, no. Yeah, I was, I was actually very thoughtful. My daughter said, well, why don't you get them a candy cane? And I didn't think the parents would appreciate that. Thank you, Deanna. Thank you for uh, sharing that little story with us and that little illustration of God and His faithfulness. Who is God and where is God? Of course, those are totally impossible questions to answer in one Sunday morning. So I get to kind of tailor the answer to that question according to uh, how it has been striking me in the last little bit. I had a unique experience this past week. Thank God this doesn't happen to me very often. But I was laying awake at night one time this last week, and this issue, this issue that I needed to deal with somehow, it just kept spinning around and around and around in my head. And if you are like me, then issues are magnified about ten times when it is dark outside and when it is night. And here I am, and I'm thinking about this, and it's spinning around and around, and it really isn't that big a deal. I try to convince myself that of that. But from time to time, this happens to me. Thank, thank God, not too, too often. But when this happens, typically I'm actually not like totally, totally awake. I'm like kind of in this in-between stage where, where I'm not really sleeping, but I'm not really totally, totally awake. And, and that's where I was. And, and in that semi-asleep state of drifting in and out kind of, um, this thing just keeps turning around and around. And as it keeps turning around, it becomes bigger and bigger, and bigger. Crazy thing was, this really wasn't that big a deal. But in that moment, it was. And when this happens, I, I try and do all the right things. I try and pray. I try and give it over to God. But in that crazy, delirious state, that, that, that seems to, all seems to kind of be futile for me when this happens. Because everything is kind of 
mixed up. Now this time, somewhere again kind of out of this kind of semi-awake state, uh, the words to, uh, to a great song, one line, began to overtake my crazy, stressed out, overwhelmed thought process. And it was these words, when the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. When the night is holding on to me, God is holding on. Over and over and over. Those words were repeated in this semi-awake state. And somehow in the middle of that, peace kind of began to surround me. That's not actually quite right. Actually, it was interesting because the turmoil didn't disappear, but something came and overshadowed the turmoil. An assurance of God's faithfulness somehow came and overshadowed. Now try to understand what I'm trying to say. Again, let me say, the turmoil didn't disappear. I, I, I wish it had. I, I wish I could say it had. I wish that's how it worked, but it, it didn't work that way. And in a way, maybe that's okay, but, but this overshadowing presence. Now, here's how I would try and illustrate uh, this overshadowing phenomena, because I'm sure most of you have experienced it in some way uh, or other. The sun is just beating down on you, and it's overwhelming and stifling and piercing. I remember days like that when I was up on the roof and it was, it, the sun was just totally overwhelming and the heat. And then suddenly, if, I, if, if you're watching, suddenly you see this, this kind of, this cloud, this shadow kind of coming and it just comes and all of a sudden it's over top of you and it's all around you and you just kind of, there's this, this uh, incredible relief because this piercing, stifling um, um, overwhelming, unbearable heat. There, there's kind of this, this momentary sense kind of, of, of this relief that comes because of the, of the shade. And as I began to drink this in, I kind of got a little bit of a history lesson. Um, here we are, all of this is happening, remember, in my kind of semi-conscious state. Here we are 2,000 years after Jesus lived here on earth, and evil has done its best to kill Christianity in countless different ways. But here we are. There have been literally millions of problems that humanity has faced, every bit as big, and many of them far bigger than this issue that was nagging me that night. And yet, here we are. God has been holding on. I have been a part of situations in people's lives where it seemed like there was going to be no way of recovering. There was no way through this. And yet, here we are. God is holding on. I remember I was 25 years old. I had a friend. He was a couple years older than me. His wife had just passed away as a result of breast cancer. And he had this three-year-old daughter that he had no idea how he was going to kind of keep going. And, and it was probably my first bereavement visit. I went there and I sat with him. I had no idea what to say. I said only a few words and I'm pretty sure those were the stupidest words that have ever come out of my mouth because I had no idea what I was doing. 
But I found this little card and I stuck it to the plate of cookies that Pearl had baked for him. And it said, Faith is what you hang on to when you have nothing left to hang on to. God is holding on. And so for the next few minutes, and that's all we have left for this morning, I would like to simply speak about, I would like to hold up for a few minutes, God's faithfulness. I would like to speak for a few minutes about the fact that when the night is holding on to you, God is holding on. There are so many verses in the Bible that highlight his faithfulness. We could go to many different places. I, I want to, together with you, take a quick look at Psalm chapter 35 and 36. If you have your Bibles here, I invite you to turn there with me. But here's the other thing that I want to ask of you. I had actually planned uh, earlier as I was thinking about this, I had thought about the, this idea of, of getting all of you to kind of pick your favorite um, God is faithful verse. Or when you need to be reminded about God's faithfulness, where do you go? And then we were going to pass the mic around and share those verses. Um, but the, the time is a little tight this morning, so here's what I want you to do. Or here's what I want to ask you to do. I would like you to look up, while, while I'm speaking, you, you guys are multitaskers. So while I'm speaking, um, look up your, your favorite God is faithful verse. It doesn't have to use those words, but something that you refer to when you need a... Be, to be reminded that God is faithful. And you can, you, can, um, you can email it to me or to Jesse. You can text it to me or to Jesse. You can text it to me while I'm preaching. My phone's in silence, so that's going to be okay. Um, but we would like to compile all of, the, all of the verses that we use, the scriptures that we use, as a body, you all, you're going to send it to us and we're going to put them in a, in a big list and we're going to send them out to all of you instead of reading them to each other. So, you can do it while I'm preaching. You can do it later on today or during the course of the week. Uh, but we would love to hear what's... And you know what? I'm going to expand it one step. If you would prefer to do a line from a song, feel free to do that also. We'd love to, to send out to each other a list of this. So, God's faithfulness, Psalm chapter 35 and 36 are a reminder of God's faithfulness. See, our need for a reminder of God's faithfulness usually comes somewhere in the realm of, um, kind of like it did for me, somewhere in the realm of, and I'm going to use, try and use one word that encompasses it all, being overwhelmed. So, stress, um, new situations, um, new things being bombarded at us, Things not working out, relationships, finances, health, family, whatever it is, but somewhere in the realm of stress and being overwhelmed, those are, that, that's kind of a, a characteristic time when we need some kind of a reminder of God's faithfulness. That's exactly how it was for David here in Psalm chapter 35 and 36. David speaks about those who seek my life. Those who plot my ruin, this is in, in chapter 35. Those who dug a pit for me, a net that was put out to entangle me. 
Those who repay me evil for good. Times when my prayers are left unanswered. Times when there are no answers for my questions. Attackers that make fun of my misery. That laugh when I stumble. That mock me and slander me and falsely accuse me. And David is talking about all of this while he is literally running for his life. He's never safe. Time and time again, he's just escaped by the, by, 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 by the narrowest of margins. And David writes this poetry in Psalm 35 about the relentless pursuit of his adversaries. The relentless pursuit of things that are against him. And he gives us this whole category of things that were against him here on earth. And I would say this this category that David gives us becomes representative of all the crazy things that come against us here on earth. You face it in your own life. You listen to your friends and family, they're facing it. You watch the news and you see this is reality all around the world. Things come against us. There are enemies, there are adversaries, there are things that are not working out, things that are overwhelming, things that cause stress, and it's bombarding humanity and it's bombarding you specifically very often. Relentless pursuit, it seems, for an adversary or an enemy to destroy you. It sets traps and snares and pits. We face broken relationships and health issues and financial problems. We have anxiety and stress and mental health breakdowns and sickness and death. All of them bombarding us. And then as you move into the next chapter, chapter 36, literary experts are going to tell us that there's a notable change of tone which indicates that now David begins to speak about himself. He's still talking in the third person, but somehow literary experts have figured this out, that he is now talking about himself in the third person, and the adversaries that he now refers to is stuff that is coming from within himself. In some ways, it makes sense that adversary, you know, adversity would bombard us from the outside, and we get that, and we experience that, and, 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 and those adversities, they, they discourage us, and they try to drag us down, and they try to destroy us. That all kind of makes sense to us, but David is saying, I am not just facing enemies on the outside, I am facing enemies that come from within me also. Most of us can actually quickly identify again. Enemies that are fighting against us that come from the inside of us. Greed and pride and a critical spirit and negative thoughts and impure thoughts and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and on and on. This is stuff that comes from the inside of me that I'm also fighting against or that's also fighting against me. Not only am I facing on the issues on the outside that keep me awake at night, on top of that or along with that, I have a host of issues inside of me that are every bit as big a problem as the stuff that I'm facing on the outside. And you're sitting there and you're saying, thanks Darren, I needed to be reminded of that. There goes another good night's sleep. Okay, I'll stop. And we'll turn the corner Because that's what David does very suddenly here in the middle of Psalm chapter 36. He has spoken about all these frustrations, all these enemies, all these adversaries, all these things that overwhelm him. And he's gone on this frustrated rant about all these problems that he's fighting against. And then he comes to 36 verse 5. In the middle, just boom, abrupt change. Your love, O Lord reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness 
to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. How priceless is your unfailing love. It's hard for us to make that sudden change if you are actually reading this section. This dramatic shift in focus. And David says, that is the world that we live in. There's earthly pressure. There's internal pressure. And I'm fighting to survive this evil and this darkness and this death and this stress that is trying to destroy me from the outside and from the inside. But wait! And he shifts his focus and he goes to another perspective. And he says, here is God and this is what God looks like and this is who God is. He is faithful. And David stops and finds this amazing way to illustrate this faithfulness of God. When the night is holding on to you, God is holding on. Every one of the illustrations that he uses here about God are way beyond human. And I like that. He's, I think he's pretty intentional about that. Your love reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness stretches to the skies. You have heard me before rant and rave about the amazingness of the heavens and the skies. I'm not going to do that again here today. His love and his faithfulness beyond your wildest imagination or ability to grasp or understand. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the deep oceans from the peak of Mount Everest that's just over 29,000 feet up in the sky to the depths of the ocean, the deepest part of which is just over 36,000 feet beneath the surface of the, of the water, only about seven miles down the deepest part of the ocean. How's that for illustrations of God's righteousness and his justice? And then David kind of shifts over a little bit further and he continues writing and, 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 and doing poetry about what this God with these qualities, what this love and faithfulness and righteousness and justice thinks about and does for you and me. This is how the New Living Translation puts it. You care for people and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. You feed them from the abundance of your own house. Letting them drink from your river of delights. For you are the fountain of life. The light by which we see. So for today. This is my God. This is your God. And this God is inviting me and you to come and find refuge with him. When the night is holding on to me. God is holding on.